Praise God. I was ready for another one. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Word of God for us this morning. Thanks be to God. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for this day that you've given us to be in your house. We praise and glorify your name, for you are worthy of all praise. And we just ask, O oh Lord, now that your Holy Spirit will continue to minister to us through this word as it is proclaimed. I ask, O oh Lord, that you will speak to us what we need to hear from you, and that you will continue to increase our faith. We just pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. The early church devoted themselves to the teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. It was a three-pronged approach that was, sounds pretty simple, straightforward, right? It doesn't sound like anything that complicated. It sounds like something that we all should be able to do. But I think sometimes we have to understand the, the context of the scripture that we're reading. The early church experienced these three elements in a slightly different way than we do. And so we have to understand what they meant when they talked about fellowship, what they, talked, what they meant when they talked about the breaking of the bread, what they meant when they said that they devoted themselves to prayer. So let's take them one at a time. Fellowship. Fellowship was essential. As Christians, they were establishing something new a beloved community of faith. Christians were to love and care for each other as Jesus had taught them. When you look up fellowship, it is defined as a friendly association with people who share one's beliefs and interests. So it's people that you share something in common, something that binds you together, something that brings you together. And we have to understand that in the early church, that common denominator was undoubtedly Jesus Christ. Because the people that were coming to faith came from all kinds of backgrounds and places. At first it was Jewish Christians, and then you had a Gentile Christians from the known world, and before you knew it, you had a group of people that normally would not hang out with each other together in faith. People that normally outside of the faith community wouldn't have done stuff together. They wouldn't have gone to the market together. They wouldn't have 
gone to the same places, they would have hung out with their own cultural group. And so the early Christians were devoted to each other in this new fellowship that was centered on faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of the world. They came together in the central belief that he came to make a difference in the world, to forgive their sins, to give the promise of eternity, to give them so much more. So what did they get from fellowship? Well, fellowship allowed them to have a forum for teaching and preaching. It gave them a place to gather together and to tell the stories of Jesus and to retell the gospel stories that we today study from Scripture. Now, I want you to think of how cool this was. They got to sit down with the disciples who actually walked with Jesus, who actually saw and experienced the miracles, and they got to hear firsthand accounts of what we read about in Scripture. These people were there. They were there. Peter could talk about the time he tried to walk on water and didn't quite make it. They could talk about the time that they fed 5,000 plus with some loaves and some fish. They could talk about people being brought back from the dead and the story of Lazarus, and they were there. So it's a completely different experience in this fellowship when they're with these disciples and they're taking the time to hear from them and to be taught by them about the stories of Jesus. And of course, if somebody's going to lead the teaching, you're going to have the people that saw it and experienced it and were there. I mean, this, that's really cool, to have the people that actually were part of the story telling the story. Today, we don't have that benefit. We can't just call the, you know, Apostle Peter and say, hey, Peter, tell us about that time, because he's no longer around. So we have to rely on Scripture, on the recorded stories that we have, but the early church had incredible fellowship with the actual disciples. Then they were also devoted to the breaking of bread. Now when you read the, the breaking of bread, you immediately think of communion. You think of, of the Lord's Supper. You think about what Jesus did with his disciples before he went to the cross when he told them, you know, this is my body broken for you and this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. But if you study the early church and you read Corinthians, you find out that the breaking of bread was not just the Lord's Supper. It was a communal meal. The early church invented the potluck, people. They had everybody together under one roof to share a meal together and then to celebrate the Lord's Supper in remembrance of what Jesus had done for them. It was a way for them never to forget what their faith was about. And so they did this regularly. They got together in people's homes and they would have these dinners and then they would break bread together and celebrate the Lord's Supper. And you know that around those tables, the talk was faith. The talk was Jesus. The talk was all those wonderful stories that we now read about in Scripture. In the breaking of the bread, they weren't just remembering what Jesus had done. 
they were also proclaiming his resurrection and that he would come back for his church. It was a celebration. It was a joy to be able to do this. Nobody was worried about whether my house was picked up enough to have guests. Nobody was worried about the details. They were just worried about being together and sharing in this important time. And finally, they were devoted to prayers. Now, when we think of prayers, we immediately think of our concept today of praying for each other, which is normal, right? Intercessory prayer. We pray for each other, and we pray for our needs, and we pray for what's going on in the world, and for our leaders, and all these kind of things. When the early church thought about prayer, they didn't just think about talking to God. They thought about declaring their faith through prayer and worshiping God through prayer. Many of their prayers would have read to us as creeds of faith, as statements of belief, because they would fashion their prayers after what? After the Lord's Prayer. And if you read the Lord's Prayer and you study the Lord's Prayer, you know that it includes elements of praise and worship and adoration and recognition of who God is, what God has done, and what God has promised to do. And so the early church would do these prayers, and they, they got a lot of this from their Jewish heritage, those that became Christian from, the, from Judaism. They had regular times of prayer. Every day, Jews would have morning prayers and evening prayers. And so they knew the concept of taking specific times to pray, and they would all be praying at the same time. They understood that prayer was important and that they needed to do it daily. So they did these three things. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And as they did that, they were being taught in those settings by the disciples who were sharing the stories of Jesus and instructing them in the faith. And Acts tells us that as they practiced these simple spiritual disciplines, pretty simple, pretty straightforward, many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. Many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. It wasn't that they were having a sporadic sign and wonder here or there. It was that they were happen happening frequently and regularly. They were almost expected. What for them was a sign and a wonder for us would be huge today because they were expecting it every single time. They were in anticipation of it happening. And the scripture reminds us that it wasn't the disciples doing it. It was being done through them. God was doing it through them. The apostles were not the ones holding the power. It was God giving them the power. It was God giving the authority. It was God doing the manifestation through his Holy Spirit. And so we learn a lot from that for us today. When something happens in our church where God shows up, we need to continue to give him the credit and the glory and the praise because it's him doing it, not us. 
We need to continue to exalt His name because He is simply choosing to show signs and wonders through us for the edification of the body. But they were expecting this every time. Today, there are so many churches where there's no expectation of signs and wonders. People come to church on Sunday expecting nothing to happen. They come in and they leave the same way they came. There's no surprise. There's no aha moment. There's no revelation. There's no sense that God has shown up when they have gathered together. The early church believed that even if just two or three were gathered in the name of Jesus, he was there. Do we believe that? Because there's more than two or three right here, right now. So is he here? Can we say he's here? Yeah. Praise him then. Give him glory. Because he deserves the praise. If he's here, I want to worship him because he is worthy of all praise. That's why I wanted to keep worshiping. I was ready to keep going. We might just need to go back to that because I tell you, it was good. It's good to worship the Lord. The early church understood this. They understood that it was good to be in the house of the Lord, that it was good to be in fellowship with believers, that it was good to break bread together, that it was good to eat with each other and establish relationship, that it was good not to forget what Jesus did and has promised to do because it's something that we need to keep in the forefront of our minds all the time. Not sometimes all the time, because it's central to our faith. This beloved Christian community had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. It was a radical way of living together in that early church. Now, we have to understand the concept. The early church lived with the expectation that Jesus was about to return right now. They believed that Jesus had gone to wave to the Father, do a Yui, and come right back. Little U-turn and just return for them. They did not understand that it would take time for him to return, that in God's benevolence and mercy, God would give over 2,000 years for people to know Jesus and become to salvation, that God would wait for the gospel to reach every corner of the globe, that God had a plan that would unfold over many, many years. They thought it was going to happen next week. And let me tell you, if, if you thought that Jesus was coming next week, you would cash out your 401K. You would help every needy person you found. You would give away your love unconditionally and every possession you ever own because you would know that when Jesus comes, you can't take any of it with you. 
That was why they were able to live that way. Because they were in the expectation of the return of Jesus any second. And so they let go of material things. They let go of any attachment to this world. They understood that what was coming was so much greater than what they had that they, they treated it, like Paul said, like trash compared to the excellence of what was to come. If one was hungry, they would feed them. If one had a need, they would all help. Nobody went without their basic necessities met in this early church. Now, we don't live in the same way today because we understand that we don't know when Jesus is going to return, right? And we still have to take care of our families here on earth until he does, right? And God calls us to be responsible with that. But we have kept the principle of this early church teaching because we still pull together when somebody among us is in need. We still pull together our resources to help those who are hungry and make bags for the kids at school and do what we can to teach those who need to learn English and do what we can to reach out to our community in love and in care and in compassion. So we still try to do this idea of being a benevolent community that cares for the needs of others in the name of Jesus. Because it's really important for us to understand that the early church understood that what we do is for Jesus. It's not just because we want to be good people. It's not just so that people will think better of us. It's so that the name of Jesus will be lifted up high so that people will come to salvation in him. That's the goal. It's not our name. It's not our church name. It's not our own story. It's the story of Jesus. And the early church understood that if you care for your community in love, you have a good chance to win them over for Christ. So we like this idea of pulling together and helping those in need among us. And we've kept that. You know, in our church, we have some cell and good Sam. For those that don't know, good Sam helps people outside the church. Some cell helps people inside the church that are members. But the concept is the same. If there is a need, the church wants to be able to do what it can to help. And the incredible thing about that is you never know if you're going to be on the receiving end of that help. You never know when you are going to be the one who needs the community of faith to come around you and help you. And sometimes we get proud and we say, it'll never be me. I got things figured out. I'll never need it. I'll never have a need for help. Let me tell you, it happens. It happens when you least expect it. When we were serving in Marietta, we had three children under seven years old. Ellenette and I were both working full time Juggling kids, juggling work, juggling everything, and it was a crazy time. And the church we were serving was doing all kinds of things during Christmas. They were getting ready for Christmas, and they were collecting toys, and they were collecting jackets, and they were collecting all kinds of things. And we were putting together this toy shop, and we were doing a Christmas program, and it was just, it was insane. 
And so three little kids, all of these things going on in the church. December 20th or so came around, and one of our church members came to visit us at the house. I don't remember even why he came. He walks in and he says, where's your Christmas tree? We, uh, we don't have time to put one up. And, and where are the toys for the kids? Oh, we, we're both working two jobs and right now we just can't afford anything because we're just barely scraping by. And I remember not thinking much of it. Well, two days later, the same man showed up at her house with a fake Christmas tree that had been donated. He also had a trunk full of toys and gifts for the kids. And I remembered that it was one of the times that I could not restrain my tears because this was for my children and for us as a family. And this man didn't just drop things off. He brought the, the Christmas tree inside. He set it up with us. And he brought in all those gifts under the tree. And I remember feeling so blessed. But at the same time, it was so hard to receive. It was so hard to accept it. I almost turned them away. And the Lord said, don't you dare. You don't know what this man has done to get all this ready. Don't you dare turn him away. And I remember that it spoiled our children for the rest of their lives because they never had, they never had as many gifts as they did on that, on that Christmas. They never had a better Christmas than that year. And weeks earlier, I had been serving just in the toy shop, helping parents go through and purchase for their kids. And here, this church member had gone and done the same for my kids. And nobody had asked him. He, it just came out of his heart after he realized that we weren't, <laughs> we weren't ready for Christmas. We really weren't. I mean, it was one of those years that it just, it wasn't happening unless God intervened. Thank God that he intervened because he showed up. But receiving can be hard, but it's a blessing to receive, and it's a blessing to give. It's a blessing to be a benevolent community that cares for each other and loves each other so deeply that we are in each other's lives that we care about what's going on with each other's families, that we care what, what we are going through together and apart. The early Christians understood this. They kept going to the temple. Those who were Jewish kept going to the temple because they didn't stop believing in God. They simply believed that God had shown up in the flesh in Jesus Christ, and that was the fulfillment of their Jewish faith that the Messiah had come, that the Savior had arrived, and therefore they continued to go into the temple to worship God and hoping to win over some of their friends. And they kept gathering together in their homes, eating together both the Lord's Supper and meals 
to develop relationships and grow in faith. And they praised God with all that they had. And they were glad for what they had. We need to learn to have thankful hearts. Too many times we look at our cup half empty instead of half full. We look at what we don't have instead of all the blessings that God has poured out. You know, the Bible tells us to count our blessings because if you start counting your blessings, you'll never look at what you're missing. You'll be too busy celebrating what God has already done and what God has promised to do to worry about anything else. And because they were behaving this way, because they were living this way, the scripture tells us that they had the goodwill of the people. People saw how they loved each other. You know, they will know my followers by their love. People knew that these people loved each other in the name of Jesus. They knew that they cared for each other in the name of Jesus. And because they saw that, it gave a great witness to the general community. We know that the being in the good graces of people didn't last very long. Eventually, people started getting jealous of all the attention that the church was getting, the Christians were getting, the early church was getting. They started getting jealous of their influence and, and their favor, and they started persecuting them. But the church kept gathering together. They stuck together. They continued to break bread together. They continued to pray together. They continued to have real fellowship with each other and with God together. As they continued to do all of these things, the scripture tells us that the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Sometimes we forget that the church exists for the benefit of those who haven't yet joined it. We're here so that others will know Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior and come to a saving relationship in Jesus Christ. We're not just here for ourselves. We're here for the kingdom. We're here so that others will know about Jesus and so that we can give a witness to the world. It was the Lord that added to their numbers. We don't save anybody, folks. We provide an introduction. And before you underestimate the value of an introduction, I want to remind you that most of us met our significant others through an introduction. Somebody introduced you. And it ended up in a lifelong relationship of love. So an introduction to Jesus Christ is something that is powerful because it can lead somebody to a lifelong relationship with God. It can lead them to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. People often meet Jesus because somebody took the time to tell them about Jesus, to invite them to a relationship with Jesus, to pick them up and bring them to church, to take them out to breakfast if they needed to, to get them out of bed, and to do whatever it took so that they were exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, when people read the scripture in Acts, they often think that 
This idealistic community of acts is just that, an ideal. You know, the ideal community of faith. But I would argue that the values and the principles of the early church are still as relevant today as they were back then. That it's still as important for us to be in fellowship with each other. That it's still as important for us to pray with each other. That it's still as important for us to break bread together. Because let's face it, it is when we break bread together around the table that we get to know each other. And to understand each other a little bit better. And to relate to each other in a deeper way. It is when we do these things of fellowship like going out to a wedding shower, that we really get to know each other a little bit more. And in all of these things, the name of Jesus is glorified. He's lifted up high so everybody can know him. Whenever we go out, for example, with the young adults, I love it because we kind of take over the restaurant. And everybody, you can see people. Who are they? Where do they come from? Why are there so many of them here? People want to know. And it gives us a chance to introduce them to Jesus. May we continue to practice these spiritual disciplines. May we continue to expect God to show up whenever we gather together in whatever form or fashion we do. And may we continue to devote ourselves to the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God, which is living Word, which transforms hearts, and touches souls. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for the challenge to, to live out these spiritual disciplines in our congregation and in our life and in our ministry together. I thank you, Lord, because you want us to introduce people to Jesus. You want us, O oh Lord, to tell others about our faith, to share with them our faith, to invite them into fellowship, to just show them that we love them in the name of Jesus. We ask, O oh Lord, that you will enable us to continue to do these things and that everywhere we go and whatever we do, that we will not forget to lift up the name of Jesus so that someone will know that we follow him and that we believe in him. We pray that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The altar is always open if anybody wants to come up for prayer as we continue worship.